The Great Resignation, Ghosting, and now we have Resenteeism. This is the Focus Group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Welcome to the Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is the website you want to go to to learn all about us and our Tuesday podcast, TFG Unbuttoned, which we urge you to uh, subscribe to. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Like. Follow. There, there's something about subscribe. Yeah. Follow. follow. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. So, yes, follow that. And uh, if you're already listening to the Focus Group via one of your favorite podcast platforms, you're probably already getting TFG Unbuttoned. We want to thank uh, Deep Discount for being a partner of ours here on the Focus Group. We're going to be visiting with them later in the show. And a quick reminder, the Oscars are coming up, so that's always a good opportunity to get the titles that you haven't seen before the rewards. So here we are after President's Day. Uh, Bob and I went down to visit Rehoboth. We had a wonderful time. Hello, Mark and Carl. Delicious dinner. <laughs> and we saw Patrick and Howard. We, great time. It was a wonderful time. And, of course, Tim and Richard are superb hosts. So. so the usual suspects. Yeah. Not all of them, some of them. We missed a couple, but... We didn't see Bunky. No, it was Bunky and Kate, no. It was mm-hmm. a short visit, but it was good. Oh, we had a great time. Lots of fun. And, and you need to come when Funland's fun. opened so that you can go play the horses. <laughs> Bob's favorite game is this thing on the boardwalk where you sit and you throw... You roll these balls up, and whatever number the ball drops through is how many... I don't know, inches. Steps, the horse moves. This horse moves from the right side to the left. And watching Bob play this thing, I could give it, I could feed him dollars for all day because he goes crazy. Did he, he didn't win, or did he win a little tiny? He came close. And you know, it's all random because everybody's sitting next to you doing the ball. It's just crazy. It's a lot of fun. That was our favorite part of that boardwalk. And then, of course, Tim describes the, uh, what was it, the pirate ship that swings really close to the condo. Yeah, which is a Airbnb uh, house and people, are surprised when they rent it and pretty much I think it's within six inches that that swinging pirate ship comes Up right to the, to window. the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like that. And then I said we have to go in the haunted house there. Everybody talks mm-hmm. about the haunted house, so we'll have to go through it and see what that's about. So well, next what they time say about down. the haunted house is it's Am I right when everybody well, it's says kitschy. it's like the worst? It's <laughs> kitschy. So and people remember it and it's not changed and 50 years or whatever. So it's, it's so that, that, what do you call it? Analog technology is probably mm-hmm. yeah, old, like mechanical. Boo. 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 <laughs> Boo. <laughs> so in other words, it's not as sophisticated as Haunted Mansion <laughs> Disney World. Probably not. It doesn't need to be, you know. Correct. So yeah. the old Haunted Mansion. I, I saw something somebody had posted about Disney. We were talking about it over the weekend, how much it costs to get into the park now hugely expensive yeah for a day pass yeah so if you took a family of four down there for a long weekend it's got to be a few thousand dollars mm-hmm. easy yeah. right and that's know. that's you could spend hundreds of dollars just to get into the park then you have to deal with all what you're going to spend in Lines. the park right and then there's the hotels and not far away if you're with the kitties there's universal studio that's gonna you're gonna drop a bundle to go see harry potter or something right is it like Las Vegas? I haven't been to um, I haven't been to Disney in a while, but is it like Las Vegas where if things are running late, just grab a wheelchair and you get to the head of the line? <laughs> you know, they do have all this stuff. Like, so yes, if you are in fact differently abled or you're up, you know, you're sick or something, they do. Oh, is that what it is now? Differently abled. Differently abled. Yeah, that, that I can't say handicapped. 
Can you? Like the, I'm, I'm, I signs guess still say it down here. The signs still say handicap park. Handicap. Oh, that's I true. Think. Okay. Yeah. So if you have a um, an issue with mobility, there's one for you, Tim. <laughs> ah, I do. <laughs> you would be moved along courteously to a different line that moves you. Like so, there's there are two parallels, and the one with then then they'll feed you in quicker. But there was a thing that you could buy these, I think it was like Fast Pass or I don't know what it was called, but you could reserve a spot online for some mm-hmm. rides. I don't, I'm not a Disney aficionado, no. so if I'm saying anything wrong, please, you know. You know who was a, who knows uh, Disney's Romaine Patterson, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, like, and a lot of those folks that are Uber fans. No, I just mm-hmm. remember in Vegas, the, the cabbie, when he had said to me how, uh, he said, if you're running late and you don't want to wait in the TSA line, request a chair. I said, what do you oh, mean a chair? Because no, get, get a wheelchair. I said, well, what did you tell me? You got bad hemorrhoids. You know, you, you can't walk. It'll move you right through. Because <laughs> you get right through security. Right? So I thought, well, it's an option, right? I played I, that game with Amtrak. You know, if Amtrak was crowded, I would go to the red cap guys. So if it was in Manhattan or, mm-hmm. you know, if there were a lot of delays or something, you go to the red cap guys, you give them five bucks. They take you down two minutes early and get you on the train before they let the masses in. They situate you. That's always a great, right? yeah, I've told that to everyone. I'm like, listen, I just did it, last time I was in Boston, I did it. I said, here's how we're going to bypass this line. Red cap. The red cap, and we, all we had were briefcases, but I was like, no, you take us down to the, certainly, here's 10 bucks, let's go. <laughs> I, that's, a, that's a good one. I mean, because look, you, you know, the other alternative is to stand in line and get on the train and either stand, right? Or in New or, York, where you don't line up. It's the only place in the world I've seen people not line up for the train is New York City. Mm-hmm. People mass, mob. Like, you can't boom. control the crowd. Meanwhile, in D.C. and Philly, it's somewhat very civilized that they get in a line and you go down step single file or down the escalator. Not in New York. You know, <laughs> I think it might be changing. It changed a bit with the Moynihan. The Moynihan train station. Hall. Yeah. I, last time I was in there, when I was cutting through, I had a meeting on the west side. I thought, I'll walk through the train station because it's really pretty. And um, I noticed that people were a little more like Philadelphia where they do, in fact, line up. And if you are not, if you're trying to cut the line, you get a lot of laser-like dirty stairs. <laughs> you know what? The last time you had, you had taken me to the train, I was up for something. It might have been Comic-Con. Yeah, it was Comic-Con. And we had gone through the Moynihan station, and I went down the escalator. Do you know what ended up happening? I had to walk and walk and walk <gasps> and walk because the train the still went under the old, old station. station. And people had all got on the train there. So that, I, I wonder when they're going to stop that. Mm. You you must have been miserable because you'd been on your feet all day already. Well, not only that, but I we like to get down and get on get your seat. Yeah, and so everybody that was over at the old train station was already on the train because it was sitting there. So yeah, I don't. I wonder when they're going to change that. <laughs> I don't There's know. Nowhere to sit in that Moynihan station. Did they change that? There are there are some waiting rooms, but I think you have to be ticketed. You know, just like the old pen. Tim and I used to be better at uh, navigating Amtrak when we took it every week. I mean, there was, he had, Little tricks. you had it, you had the whole thing figured out. There was a sub-level at Penn Station we'd hang out on. And the minute they announced that train, we were already halfway down the stairs. And Yeah, you'd scoot through by where the commuter lines were and then get on. I missed the little sushi place. I think I might still be there, but that if we couldn't have, if we didn't have time for like a normal lunch, we would yeah. go to the, and get the little sushi thing. and <laughs> Stand at the table. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the good old days, John, when money was coming in. New York was home. Was home a, to the studio. A, now we're sitting fire. It was a fire hose of money, like the money gun spraying everywhere. Now we're sitting in our homes doing this show, but it's fine. It's, well, better here than, yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, if you're new to the show, uh, we do a little banter as we've been doing. We have a segment called Caught My Eye. Uh, Tim and I bring some interesting articles uh, to the show, followed by uh, a visit with our partner, Deep Discount. Then we have a break, Business Birthday, the only show in the universe that does business birthdays. And Shop Talk this week is, uh, I had to pronounce that a couple times, and I think I'm doing it right because it's a double E, resentism. Yes, and I actually went to and found a video where a number of experts were talking about it. And in fact, that is how you say it. Resentism. Resentism. So it's not ghosting. It's not the, the great resignation. It's not, you know, now it's resentism, which is actually the tail end of all this. So that's, that's later in our show. But for the moment, Mr. Bennett, what caught your eye? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. This popped up in, a, in the Advocate on, the, on their online version. I got there through another site, but uh, it came from our friends at Advocate. The headline is, penises are growing bigger fast. And uh, I couldn't help but use the, uh, the ad that you famously had created mm. for, for Absolute, which if you're watching our video, you'll see there's a, it says, in an absolute world, a ruler in every marking is eight inches. So it was, it was because very In a very perfect clever. world, everybody would be eight. <laughs> well, well, it's almost a perfect world, John, because apparently your penis is getting bigger. Well, penises are getting bigger for, for men now. Well, I don't know who else would have a penis. A new study out of Stanford has found that while the last 30 years, men's sperm counts and testosterone levels have decreased, their penises have gotten longer. Michael Eisenberg, he's a medical doctor, he's a professor of urology at Stanford in the medical school. He said he's concerned about it because the the declining sperm quality and testosterone levels uh, are having a problem or having uh, an issue for males' reproductive health. So this finding that, um, that sperm levels and testosterone counts were going down made him wonder if it was also affecting the man's member and the unit. So he expected that, uh, that penises were getting smaller because of this uh, loss of testosterone and hormone. But in fact, he was wrong. He said researchers compiled studies, 75 studies since 1942, and included 55,761 men in this study, and they observed that there was actually a 24% increase in the average erect penis length over 29 years. So they said that um, no one has ever really taken a systematic look at measurement. They said, given the trends we'd like to, uh, given the trends that we've seen in other measures of men's reproductive health, we thought that we would see a decline in penal length. And a lot of it they thought would be due to some environmental exposure. So they, conduct, they conducted a meta-analysis. So they did three different measurements, flaccid, stretched, and erect. And uh, they created this comprehensive database. Do you want to guess what the average length of a penis is now? Erect penis. So erect, the erect penis, is, 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 it's grown. Do you think what the average is now? It could actually be six, but I thought that in the old days, the 5.5 was... Well, you're right, standard. John. You're pretty good. So you know, you know, you know, the, you know the, the numbers. So it, uh, the average penis was 4.8 inches erect, and now it is six inches. It's grown wow. that much in, uh, in 29 years. And they said, because human reproduction is essential to preserve humankind, there's a huge concern, a huge concern about this development. They said, he quoted, if we're seeing this fast change, it means that something powerful is happening to our bodies. We should try to confirm these findings, and if, con- and if confirmed, we need to determine the cause, of these, the cause of these changes. He said several factors could contribute to the changes, including exposure to pesticides and chemicals. 
is that there's a number of chemicals in our personal hygiene products that interact with our body's natural hormones. Many of these chemicals can interrupt hormone levels in the environment or in food. He said that uh, some of these will increase exp- some of these increased exposure to chemicals have also been linked to boys and girls going through puberty at a younger age. So there's a concern about this. So they're now re- requesting. So next time you go to the doctor, ask them to measure your penis. They're now suggesting that uh, doctors need to do this. Aside from also measuring your height and weight for every man when you go to get your physical, he's now suggesting that the doctors measure the penis. And that's that. <laughs> so next time you get your physical, have your doctor say, Doc, can you measure my unit? Let me know what's what. Three different stages. Um, yeah, but then that means you have to be, it's almost like going to be a sperm donor or something. So you're, you well, I guess he doctor. wants to collect the data. I'm, yeah, you're probably right. He's probably going to work with a different, few different health systems to say, here's what we're going to do. Because and, uh, if you're in uh, I, the, the last thing I'm doing in my doctor's office is having an erection, but that's perhaps just well. There's me. three levels, John. <laughs> there's flaccid, <laughs> <laughs> flaccid, stretched, and erect. erect. Oh, I get two measurements, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I just thought, you know, once again, I guess there's. Uh, I'm sure a number of our listeners will hear from them that so they'll volunteer for the job. But, um, <laughs> it's so an interesting stat, eye. though. It's it's and and you know while you were while you were going through what he was talking about chemicals in the environment or a couple other issues that could affect this, I was reminded of the fact that our ancestors were were slighter and smaller, right? Mm-hmm. So if you go to like a colonial home or something, you, you know for a fact you look at the clothing, everything they, we were smaller, right? So our diets, well, the doorways were you had to yeah. duck through the doorways. I mean, they do say that because of animals and I guess some vegetables, but mostly animals that we eat that have these growth hormones in them. Um, there is some people that feel that that has effect, affected the humans. So that growth mm. hormone has been, when you consume the meat or consume the animal muscle or flesh or whatever, that you're ingesting those hormones, right? And somehow it's working its way into your body, right? Yeah, through yeah. the digestive system. So well, interesting. Yeah. So what Mine could not eye? be, my, my call my eye could not be further from the length of the male penis. <laughs> it involves woodpeckers. Uh, well, maybe there's close. a little, maybe there's a connect now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, this one is uh, woodpeckers stash 700 pounds of nuts in California home. And if you're watching on YouTube, the photograph is literally like a, f- a flood of acorns in someone's house. Well, yeah, they happen to be acorns. So here's the deal. Birds stored in a home in Santa Rosa, a Santa Rosa house's chimney all these things over the course of a year. So an exterminator went to this house. He was inspecting a home for mealworms. I wasn't sure what they were when he discovered something nuts. Tens of thousands came cascading out from behind a bedroom wall. They had been stashed there by acorn woodpeckers. Now, I have never heard of this variety of the woodpecker. It's a peculiar little bird with a shock of red feathers on their head who are prodigious acorn collectors. Normally, the birds store thousands of acorns in small holes. They drill in dying tree stumps, which they protect with outsized pluck. I don't know what that means, but a woman says, but that instinct to fit an acorn in a hole and store it is pretty strong with these little guys. In this case, it appears that the woodpeckers who had initially tried storing their nuts in the house's wood siding until a previous owner wrapped the house in vinyl began stacking them inside the chimney. Because the nuts kept falling into a wall cavity, the birds couldn't access them, so they kept filling the gap with more and more acorns. They're a bit of a hoarder, so this went on for a while. Generations of woodpeckers can take up to 100 years to perforate large trees with 50,000 acorn cubbyholes. 
The birds form polyamorous families with up to seven males and four females who are joined by other relatives that help when they raise the young, and they all, of course, collect acorns and stash them. So in this case, the birds kept putting the acorns in the chimney. They would go back. They're not there more and more and more. (laughs) So the guy, at the end of the day, the guy had to take out, I think it was, what does it say here? It was like tons of garbage they had they couldn't save the acorns because they were mixed in with fiberglass insulation and some oh rat droppings doesn't sound very appetizing no. right? but they took out i think it was 700 pounds so 700 pounds of nuts yeah 700 pounds and i i was looking for the stat of how many garbage bags they filled because that one kind of made my eyes pop too but so there you have it <laughs> well it's funny i'm glad you picked this because i saw this story and uh i was going to suggest maybe we do it for call my eye which we do on tuesdays but, or um, for TFG and Button, which we do on Tuesdays. And so I'm glad you picked this because I thought this was a funny story as well. And I wondered yeah. why they picked the chimney. And I guess it was just a... It's a hole. Yeah. Right. And, and a pretty regular looking one. Oh, let's put the nut down there. So how did they get... So there was there... There must have been a flaw in the chimney or a hole. So then they would go in and then they would get into a wall. I guess yeah. that's what happened, right? Because the yeah, picture here looks exactly like they right. cut a hole in the wall and they've all come out. So what a mess. They, are, uh, uh, they had been stashed. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, you they said they went into They a tried wall. the house's wood siding until, and then because the nuts, the nuts kept falling into a wall cavity. So you're right, right. about this. So there, that means the chimney had something wrong with it, right? Yeah. And you, you would think if they had lit the chimney that it would have, uh, well, it might have had a nice smell. <laughs> I don't know. You know, the one, there's one picture I should have used. It, it was too snarky. It was the exterminator laying on this pile of nuts, <laughs> looking into this hole. And of course, it was like plumber's crack or something. You know, but I thought, yeah, that's... that's oh, I don't use that. One, two, three. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, but I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll give him a pass. But it was total plumber's crack, well, exterminator's crack, whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. That was a good one. 700 pounds of nuts over 70 garbage bags or something crazy like that. I mean... Industrious little birds, right? That's you think about how long that took. Mm-hmm. Years. It was yeah. years to to so. build it up, and and that was in someone's house, and it had changed hands. You know, the, an inspector missed that too. So anyway, hey, as I mentioned uh, earlier, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the Focus Group, and we would love for you to visit them by going to uh, focusgroupradio.com and clicking on the Deep Discount logo. We have a sale going on, and uh, it's obviously, I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, that the Oscars are coming up, and that's a great time to see the movies you might not have seen that have been nominated for a whole bunch of awards, from Best Picture to Technical Awards. So it's an award-winning film and nominee sale. So, Mr. Bennett, what did you pick for this week? So I, um, I was poking through. There were a lot of great things there, and I, I could, have, could have picked many, but I, I saw this, and... Um... I thought this would be a good thing for someone to have in their collection because uh, I'll tell you what. So it's Meryl Streep, eight movie collection. And I love that you picked this because she's won. Yeah, well, right. she, and she's become, um, she is our, our, I don't know if it's a stretch to say she's our Betty Davis mm-hmm. of, yeah, of our, our generation, generation in like terms of, of great actresses. Yeah, the ubiquitous actresses in, in all kinds of great films that we know of. And in this eight box set, uh, a collection of eight of her movies. Uh, people, Robert Redford, Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn, Kevin Bacon, Renee Zellweger, Uma Thurman, uh, Steve Martin, Alec Baldwin, uh, just to name a few. But the, uh, the set, you can get the box set on DVD for $22.98. So you get all eight movies. 
The eight-disc set includes Out of Africa, which uh, won seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Director, Death Becomes Her, The River from 1994, which uh, was her first action role, uh, One True Thing, which uh, was based on Anna Quinlan novel, Prime, where she is a, a, a Manhattan psychiatrist, Mama Mia, which yeah. uh, we all know Abba, from, Abba, Abba. from Abba, Abba, Abba. And then It's Complicated, which was a, a rom-com she did in 2009. Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, which uh, is set five years after the 2008 uh, movie she did. And uh, so those are the eight movies. And uh, so I thought, uh, what a great thing to add to your collection and get them all in, in one collection of, uh, of Meryl Streep movies. Of course, she's done many, many more, but I thought this was a good compilation that they curated. I think it's a great pick and because it, it, it crosses a lot of things, award-winning, you know, the, the picture, the actress, it's, it's great. Good job. I picked a movie that I haven't seen in a while, but I really love, um, and it, I think it was like a perfect vehicle for George Clooney, and it's called Michael Clayton. And um, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It is written and directed by uh, Tony Gilroy, and Tony Gilroy recently it had a really great series on Disney Plus called Andor. It takes place in the Star Wars universe. He's not a Star Wars fan. Hence, that series is really cool because it's more of a political drama set in that universe. And it reminded me that he did this incredible movie called Michael Clayton. And uh, Clooney plays attorney. He's a fixer, a go-to guy in a powerful New York law firm. And they go to him when they need a mess swept under the rug. But he's handed a crisis that he can't really fix because the firm's top litigator in a $3 billion case has gone from being an advocate for the firm to a whistleblower against it. So there's all these corporate forces and, uh, you know, it's just it's a great cast. Uh, Tilda Swinton's in it. She plays the corporate attorney who is just ice in her veins. Really well done. So I picked um, Michael Clayton. And if you haven't seen it, I think you might really enjoy it. Did, you, not... did, you, did you see this when it came out? Yes. It says yeah. it came out to this. Did you see it in the theater? Saw it in the theater, and we also saw it on uh, one of the pay channels at some right. point. But um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Gripping. Uh, it's, it's a good political corporate drama, really well done. And Clooney, you know, George Clooney is one of those actors who, it's a George Clooney thing. You know, yeah. whatever, act, whatever role he's playing, it's George Clooney in the role as opposed, you know, this right. was a perfect fit for him. And our release this week is The Fablemans, uh, which I believe is up for some awards, right? Yes, I believe so. And uh, this is a deeply personal portrait of 20th century American childhood, of the childhood of Steven Spielberg's. Uh, and it's The Fablemans, coming-of-age story about a young man's discovery of a shattering family secret and an exploration of the power of movies to help see the truth about each other and ourselves. It's inspired by his own childhood. It's uh, written, and uh, it's Fablemans written by Spielberg and Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright Tony Kushner, which you guys might know from Angels in America, which is how I knew him, and two other plays called Carolina Change. Oscar nominations for screenplay, a um, couple other things. So that's out now, and I have not seen it, and I'd like to. Are you, uh, you going to see yeah, the Yeah, I've, I've not seen it either. I, I've only seen, I think I've only seen one or two of the nominated movies this year, so I need to, I need to catch up. I'm way up. behind, and yeah. it's because... We, we're not going to theaters as much, and but I'm glad that they release them now pretty quickly after this theater release. So right. it's like what if, like Tim was just saying, if, you, if you've only seen one or two of the nominated films, 
I would cut to deep discount and pick up some of the stuff. I had this crazy idea. I thought, get four friends together. Each one buys a movie, and then you swap them. <laughs> That's a great idea. Or, or, or do a binge, a binge weekend mm-hmm. of, of the movies, which, which yeah. some people do. So as John mentioned, head over to focusgroupradio.com. Click on the deep discount logo. It's award-winning films and nominees sale, some of them up to 60% off. So it's a, it's a great time to either add to your collection or uh, pick up a, a gift or a hostess gift for a friend or um, return something that you might have borrowed and forgot about, which I, I tend to do with movies sometimes as well. <laughs> yeah. So I had picked the um, I'd picked Meryl Streep, the eight-movie collection, which you can get on DVD for $22.98. John picked a great George Clooney movie, Michael Clayton, which uh, is available on Blu-ray for the great price of eleven seventy-nine. dollars And the new release this week is The Fablemans, which uh, is up for an uh, Oscar award this year at $27.99 and 4K Ultra HD. I don't have that quality of a machine, I don't think. Are you just DVD? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, yeah, do you have yeah. that high? Do you have the high? high? We're, we're getting ready to go to 4K because 4K, you need a 4K television for as well right. to really get the resolution. Uh, but I'm Blu-ray at the level, and I love Blu-ray. Great. So head over to Deep Discount, and uh, you'll be able to own your passion over there. You'll get there again by going to focusgroupradio.com. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a business birthday. Plus, we have a shop talk that John had uh, found called Resented? Resentism. Resent. We have a shop talk coming up, so stay with us. <laughs> You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now, back to the focus group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Welcome back to the focus group. John Nash with Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is the only thing you need to know about the show. Everything's there our video, our audio, and TFG Unbuttoned, our Tuesday podcast. And of course, a link to Deep Discount, which you might want to be clicking on right away to get the movies we talked about before the break. And there you have it. <laughs> so. Without further ado, we have a uh, business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So after 15 years of doing these business birthdays, John, you have to really dig. (laughs) Well, because we're in a narrow band, you might want to expand it to the week of, right? Well, I thought of that, you know, because if you figured if you do one, we, we must have gone through the weeks how many times? We had years. nine years or eight years so of seven, seven times three. So yeah. So it's yeah. So anyway, in order not to repeat, because there's you know someone who was probably the founder of Morgan Stanley or something that's birthdays yeah, today. That is exciting. That's not exciting. So we picked uh, this week. We've got Robert Wadlow, born February twenty second, nineteen eighteen. Sadly, died at age twenty two. Mm. His uh, claim to fame is known as the Alton Giant and the Giant of Illinois. He was uh, an American who was the tallest person in recorded history. He was born and raised in Alton, Illinois, which is a small town near St. Louis, Missouri. At the time of his death, he weighed 439 pounds. It was 8 foot 11.1 inches. 8 feet 11? Oh, my God. And Tim, is the picture that you um, provided, um, if you're watching on YouTube, Tim provided some pictures. One's like a sepia tone. Right. Is that his father next to him? Yeah, he used to travel the country doing um, personal appearances for a shoe company because obviously he needed to have uh, shoes made. And uh, his shoe size was 37 AA. <sighs> My 
God, really? So because he was such a um, tall person, and this, this, is, this is where the business aspect comes in into him. And um, so we'll get to, to why there was, if you're watching on the video, some of the shoe comparison, and the, there's a, a, um, like a mannequin of him. He, uh, he continued to grow um, throughout his adulthood, and they blamed it on a hyper uh, pituitary gland. And they said it results in abnormally high levels of human growth hormone. They said we would never get, this would never happen again because they figure out ways to control this. So if there was someone who was growing at this sort of rapid, uh, rapid height and uh, we were able to control it, control it with hormones. For instance, when he was one year old, he was already three foot six inches, weighed 45 pounds. One year old, three foot six. Six, right. At 18 months, he was four, uh, four foot three inches. At five years old, he was five six. At eight years old, he was six feet. He became he used seven feet at twelve. Uh, was eight feet four inches at eighteen, and then when he died, eight foot eleven point uh, one inches, and still growing. Um, so uh, you know he died at died at a young age. But he um, what ended up happening is he had gone to uh, gone to school like all kids go to school, and. Um, he obviously was quite tall. He didn't want to play basketball. They were afraid he was going to get hurt. He said he was a very gentle, um, nice man, nice person, nice kid, and tried to act as if he wasn't as tall <laughs> as tall as, as he, he was. was. Yeah. And this was way before we had American with Disabilities Act. So the schools had to try to accommodate him and put wood blocks on his desk and, and just try to um, work with having a kid like him enrolled in the school. And then when he went off to college, Said when he was a teenager, he and his brother and sister started a soft drink stand in front of their yard, and people would come by, but they weren't necessarily thirsty. They wanted to see how tall he was. <laughs> so poor guy. he was smart. He was smart enough to say that um, before uh, they give him the drink, or they'd make them pay first, and then he would stand up. So in other words, he wasn't just going to stand up to see him. He didn't want to be handled right. and, and and how and many viewed, cups would that be? Yeah. Viewed as a free, right. <laughs> how many so lemonades do you want? They said they, he'd make over a hundred dollars in the summer. This is the you know nineteen twenties. Mm-hmm. So that was great, great money. He required leg braces when walking. Um, he never used a wheelchair, and uh, so he had met somebody along the way uh, and doing some work, and he met Ringling, uh, someone from Ringling Brothers Circus. And they wanted to use him in the circus, and particularly, very famous, they had freak shows then. Yeah, like and Tom Thumb, the right. bearded lady. He, the re- he refused to do that. He said, I will not be a sideshow. I will not be part of the sideshow. I'll, I'll be in center ring, but I want to be dressed in my everyday clothes. I want it to be dignified, and I'm not going to wear a top hat and tails. I'm just going to come in the clothes that I normally wear, and I'll be in center ring. So he did that for a while. And traveled the country as uh, you know, the world's tallest man or one of the world's tallest, tallest people. Until 1938, he began a promotional tour with the International Shoe Company, which would provide him shoes free of charge. And again, he would go to these, he would go to these openings or to these uh, promotional events in his regular street clothes. And uh, he saw himself as working in advertising because of this, because he was not exhibiting as a freak. He actually was opening new stores in town. He worked for Peterson, uh, Peter Shoe Company. He worked for the International Shoe Company. He also worked for a, uh, a company that sold caps, like little, mm-hmm. little, um, yeah. little boys' caps. He began making appearances when he was 13 years old um, wearing these, uh, 
um, I, I guess they were like not ball caps or not ball I caps. You know those ones like, that they wear? God, or the ones used to wear the little rascals. Yes. The and, little beanie things, right? Yeah, it's a stick. Uh, it was for a number of department stores, Stick Bear and Fuller stores. And um, so he made these appearances, as I said, with Peters and, and uh, Pierre, visited over 800 towns, 41 states, and uh, would come in and help open a shoe store or, or um, you know, a new line of shoes or something, and uh, made a great living uh, from doing that, from doing appearances. The other thing was that, you know, he said obviously he needed shoes. So what they would do is they would also have on display, which there are some still um, still in existence of his actual shoe, which was a 37. If you're watching the video, you'll see what, what size shoe that was. And they also have some of the life-size statues of him that are erected in this museum in Alton, um, Illinois. So it's, uh, so he died tragically. He, uh, he, he was at, a, at an event, and um, it was a professional appearance in Manistee, which is in, in Michigan. And he had a faulty leg brace, which irritated his ankle and led to an infection. Mm. So he had to go to the hospital, and they gave him a blood transfusion, and then he ended up getting an infection and uh, died in his sleep on July 15th at 22 years old. They said his coffin measured 10 feet 9 inches long uh, and required, it weighed over 1,000 pounds and required 12 pallbearers and eight assistants to maneuver. And uh, he was buried at the Oakwood Cemetery in uh, Madison County, Illinois. So it's um, sad, you know, have to, to die so young, but he, he, what I liked about him is he didn't allow himself to be a, be a, a cir- quote-unquote circus freak. Yeah. He tried, he tried to live a normal life and used to his advantage his height to, uh, to do promotional um, appearances and stuff because he really couldn't, they said he really couldn't sit at a desk. He would hold, yeah. he would hold books and things like he would hold a little piece of paper because his hands were, two to three times the size of anyone else's hands. They did say he read, this is right up your alley, he read over 300 books a year. Wow. Um, his favorite were uh, adventure stories. And uh, I just wonder about, um, you know, first there's the, the loving parents who have no way of controlling this, right? The growth rate. And right. someone that size, I, I imagine that had he lived beyond 22, he might have been dealing with a lot of other health issues possibly you know, be circulatory heart you know it, it already walking with leg braces for stability right. I, I bet that it would have just gotten even more challenging as it went on and i when you say that he had an infection from this bad uh leg brace i guess that might have been like a sepsis thing right yeah you know they talked about him having of course health issues or they, he he they, they, they tried to figure it out right they tried to see what, what what's going on here they had no idea uh, they knew that this was a pituitary gland issue, but in terms of trying to control it, there just science wasn't there yet. And uh, so it's it's uh, it's interesting because you you have to um, feel sorry for him. I mean, he said mm-hmm. he had to get used at a young age of people just staring at him, even when he tried to just do normal things that little kids would do. The uh, the cap I see here was called the Eddie Cantor adjustable cap, which was a popular cap then for boys, is what he. The Eddie promoted Cantor. It. Eddie Cantor, adjustable <laughs> cap. 13 adjustable years old. It's very cap. popular. It's like one of those schoolboy, you know, yeah. caps you would wear yeah. that a, a driver wore. But um, yeah, so that was uh our birthday. Robert Wadlow, born today, February 22nd. He died at 22 in, Jul- in July of 1940. Wow. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm glad that he made the most of it with a positive attitude. <laughs> 
Yeah. What more can you say, right? Yeah. And they said he was just a very nice person, nice human. They they said he ate um, normal meals. It wasn't like he ate a lot of food either. It wasn't because he was so big. And I know what a lot of you were asking. We talked about uh, penis sizes earlier with Stanford. Uh, I had a couple of people when I said I was doing this wanted to know if with his 37 size shoe and his big hands and everything, how everything else was. I, I, of course, there was nothing, nothing to well, talk Well, not from that time period, but <laughs> it reminds me of young Frankenstein when they're sitting, when Gene Wilder is sitting and he's like planning the monster. And uh, Terry Gar is like, well, if he's enormous, he must have a huge schwan sticker. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> You could make an assumption. We'll just well, you you would think, right? Yeah, I mean, big feet, big hands, big gloves, big shoes. It's not like it's not like one body part's not going to scale up like the rest. So, well, that would be interesting. Yeah. All right, as we <laughs> for shop talk, as we mentioned uh, at the top of the show, this word I had to actually look it up and say it a few times. But resenteism, resenteism is the latest trend plaguing workers. And so what's going on is, you know, we had quiet quitting, we had the great resignation, we had, you know, a whole bunch, all these old terms for people moving and changing jobs. And now they've claimed that this is the natural successor to quiet quitting, which is resenteeism. And that's people who stayed in their jobs, might've wanted to move, didn't. Now they're in, like other people left around them and they're, in they're stuck in jobs that they feel are, they're undervalued, they're underappreciated and worry about their futures, and worry that they're never going to be happy in their jobs. Well, that was an interesting statement right there. But So they say here in this article that it's closely related to quiet quitting, which rose to prominence via TikTok in the later half of 2022. But this is subtly different because you're staying behind, you were left behind, and now you're like, mm, you know, do I really want to be here? I'm really unhappy. This was one of these, this was one of those interesting things that, uh, I guess if you're a corporate worker, everybody's encountering this on some level. Well, yeah, they're staying in a they're staying in jobs that they don't want, in a place where they don't want to be. Want to be, but, yeah, right. But they're um, need to because maybe they're saying the job market isn't as great as we thought, the pasture isn't as green as we thought. And uh, I laugh because somewhere along the way here, it said that particularly for the younger generation, it said many felt their bosses didn't care about them as people. Mm, just yeah, as workers and i typed next to that welcome to the real world yeah you know if you <laughs> what's new <laughs> yeah I, I i i thought come on and so um you and i we had a discussion about this over the weekend during your visit and i think this is part of this whole issue of people getting back to work people getting back to the office people trying to engage as a as a work unit again right rather than doing mm -hmm. all these these uh remote meetings and zoom meetings we actually talked to people who said even people now that are in the same building won't go to conference rooms that they'll sit in their cube or sit in their office and still do a zoom even though they're all in the same place which i find that very odd yeah i agree so i here's, I, here's a little stat for you they said here that more than half 66 percent of millennials are satisfied at their jobs per a 2022 survey but they went and they looked at a software company specifically, and in that company, half of the uh, or, or half of the people in those jobs said they wouldn't wish it on their worst enemy. So that would be what we would call poison, right? I mean, that's right. a poison environment. If you don't want to wish your job on your worst enemy, you know, why would you even stay? But again, mortgage, healthcare is a huge one. People don't want to lose benefits, right? 
So this is a, it's an interesting thing. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think we are so good lately at giving new words to things that we've had in the past. Like, you know, wouldn't you say that from a resent, resentism point of view, like you've hated jobs before? I know right. for a fact you've, you've been in jobs that you despised, right? Yeah. And, and the people, like people might've been nice, management was horrible. You didn't like what you were doing, right? Yeah. But, but you, you either, yeah, you have to make, you have to um, weigh the good with the bad and decide how you're going to do it and handle it. So they say, if you feel like that, if you're in one of these jobs that you don't necessarily like, or you feel like you're not being um, valued and so forth, that you, says they, uh, the author recommends you go to uh, HR and uh, communicate your concerns and needs and, uh, and identify what you need from them to make your job more fulfilling and keep you motivated and, and uh, keep things in perspective. I don't know. Did you read that and just raise an eyebrow? Well, like, I wonder how many people are listening right now. I mean, I know we have a lot of uh, listeners like who are to in, teach the world, yeah, world to sing, sing. I know we have a lot of listeners who are in HR and they deal with a lot of issues, but one of them is, I don't know that they deal with this every day of someone coming and saying, you know, I'd like, I'd like Mary to smile at me. I want my boss to give me a gold star, and I really don't like my job. I mean, right? What am I going to do? He doesn't appreciate me, what I do here. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and I, he was complaining about something. I said, why don't you go to HR? And he just rolls his eyes. He goes, he goes that's not going to solve a thing. He said, I'm not going to go to HR. And so that must be an attitude that permeates some of this as well, right? Well, I've said this to Richard about some issues he has, uh, he's had along the way, a friend of ours. And he just, I, I've said the same thing. I came from good or bad. Mm -hmm. the, my time at, uh, it, with, with Subaru, the human resources department was very much a partner with the groups that they service to the point where they would even attend events that we did or advertising shoots or something just so they would understand exactly the full breadth of the job yeah. right of what you did and how travel was and so forth and i think that was very helpful because if there ever were issues you could certainly um have them as a sounding board or someone who at least understood uh, what was going on but so many hr departments now when i you're exactly what you said when you talk to friends and you bring it up it's almost as if it's just a cost item that's a nuisance that uh mm. they're not overly effective so one friend of mine was in hr for retail a big, uh, high-end, fancy retail chain. And I asked him one day, like, you know, what's the big thing? Or is it finding the right person for the job? Is it like, you know, going through resin? No, no, no. It's resolving employee conflicts. Mm. It's discovering that an executive has a drug or alcohol problem. And how do we navigate that? It's discovering that, you know, he went through a list, a litany of stuff that was like totally off my radar. And I'm like, this is what you deal with? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what we deal with every day. So <laughs> Gosh, I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm not sure that if you resent your job that's high on their list, if they're dealing with employees not showing up or help, helping people put their lives back together if they have a drug or alcohol problem. It's, yeah. Yeah. No, you become a guidance counselor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it, which is what a lot of managers become as well. Or a so. referee. Right. So look for the latest buzzword in corporate America right now called resentism. There you go. You nailed that. Resentism. <laughs> R-E-S-E-N-T-E-E-I-S-M. It's almost Aretha could spell it. Almost. She was almost. Yeah. So, hey, thanks for joining us here in the focus group. As always, we appreciate the time you spend with us. Thanks to our friends at Deep Discount. 
as John alerted everybody. It's now the uh, season for uh, the Oscars, so be sure to catch uh, some of the movies that are available at a great price during the um, award-winning film and nominee sale heading over or going on at Deep Discount. You get there by going to focusgroupradio.com and clicking on the Deep Discount logo. I picked uh, Meryl Streep's uh, eight uh, movie set that you can, uh, can pick up there. John had picked Michael Clayton, it's a movie starring George Clooney, and the new release this week is The Fablemans. And uh, we hope all of you have a, have a great week. And uh, if you're on the East Coast, we're apparently going to get a little bit of a warm spell later in the week, mm-hmm. so uh, be sure to enjoy that. And if you're out in your car, John, you probably saw this all over the highways when you were driving this weekend. Stunned. Stunned. Yeah. Anyway. People texting and driving, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Don't text and drive, arrive alive. And we'll see you on TFG Unbuttoned on Tuesday. Take care. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.